You're listening to America's Web Radio Online. Thanks for tuning in. And you're listening to the prologue on America's Web Radio. My name is Doug Dahlgren. I'm glad you're here with us this morning. Our guest today is Myra Lewis-Williams. Now, that's a name that either rings a bell with you right away, or it will very shortly. She was a part of a quite famous family that included cousins Jimmy Swaggart, Mickey Gilley, and Jerry Lee Lewis. Myra joined that family in 1957 when Jerry Lee married Myra Gail Brown, who was at that time 13 years of age. Known since then as Myra Lewis, she joins us today to discuss with us her life and her new book, The Spark That Survived, a memoir. Myra, welcome. We're so honored to have you here on the prologue. Well, thank you, Doug. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Good to have you here. How how's everything going today with Myra Lewis? Ah, it, it, it better than ever. Couldn't be better. <laughs> Terrific. Terrific. Now, the spark that survived the title of your new book. It's actually the second telling of your story, isn't it? It really is. Yes, a great balls of fire that was written. I believe it came out in seventy nine, eighty, something like that, a long time ago. That started out to be the book I wanted to write, Doug. It was the, what I wanted to write was the story of a girl's survival of being married at 13 years old to a wild, crazy rock and roll star who was also my second cousin, who also created the biggest uh, scandal in all of show business at that point besides one. I think there was one other scandal bigger than ours. And I wanted to tell the story to the world because everyone had a misconception of what it was really like and what really happened and how it all happened. And I wanted to tell the story, and I found a writer that would work with me and write it out. And we went to New York and met with the publishers, and I told them what I wanted to do. They, they originally knew it was going to be about Jerry Lee Lewis. So I went, sat down with them. And I told them what I wanted to write it about, and they said, oh, no, 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 that's not what the world wants to hear. People want to know about Jerry Lee Lewis, the traveling on the road, the music, the touring, all the wild, crazy happenings. And I said, that's not the story I want to write. I want to write my story, what I felt, what I went through, what it was actually like between, you know, in, from my point of view. And they said, no, 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 nobody wants to read that. They said, give us a story about rock and roll, traveling on the road, drinking, fighting, running, boozing, all these things. And that's what we'll publish. And we'll call it Great Balls of Fire. So <laughs> my hopes were dashed because that was never the story I wanted to write. So... As it came about, they, they published the book. I, I didn't really care for it. Um, it wasn't the book I wanted to write. They made the movie. I really didn't care for that too much either, except everybody that sees it loves it. What they don't realize is it's not the storyline as much they love as it is the music and the era. So right, right. This time around, I sat down and I said, this is Myra's story. This is the 13-year-old child bride that married the wildest, craziest rock and roll singer, player, fighter in the whole world. This is what I felt. This is how it actually happened. This is what 
place, and this is why it took place. So this is uh, my story. Okay. Jerry Lee is, to the, to the public, he was as you described him. Was he that way in private, or was that just a persona that he put on when he went on stage? Um, he was that way, except there was a quiet time to Jerry. There was a getting down, being simple at home. It's really strange. As much as partying and drinking and fighting on the road, when Jerry would come home, he would sit in his big chair and watch TV. I would bring him his dinner on a tray and put it down on his chair, and he would across the arms of his chair, and he would eat his dinner for sitting there. He would not allow people to come in our house if they were drinking. <laughs> it was as if this is a different world, people. You can do that out there, but you can't do it in here. It was almost like his sacred ground that he came to where the whole world changed and was nothing like the way it was out on the road. When you sat down to rewrite this story, and I understand the disappointment you must have had with the way Great Balls of Fire turned out, but uh, years, years later, j- just last year, really, it's when uh, the new book came out, The Spark That Survived. Was it difficult for you to trans- transport yourself mentally back to those days and relive all that stuff again? You know, there's nothing like distance from a heartache to get you over it. Time does heal all wounds. And it's, as I sat down, I won't, I won't say I didn't cry writing some of it because I did. But the majority of it I could look at and almost laugh at because of the silliness and the stupidity of a little 13-year-old girl doing what she did. So it, it, just, it, it didn't hurt this time like it did originally. It was more fun because I looked at it and there's so many silly little things that I did that, oh my gosh, it's like I'm embarrassed to even tell people, you know, some of the things. It's just like what took place that created the scandal in London in 1958 when we arrived over there. Um, a reporter came up to me in the airport and said, uh, excuse me, miss, who are you? And I said, uh, me? And he said, yes, who are you, please? And I said, oh, I'm Jerry's wife. And it's almost like I pulled a gun and shot the guy because he took off like a <laughs> rocket. He said, oh, my God, you're what? And he said, how old are you? And I said, uh, I, I thought 13 was a little young, so I kind of pushed my age up. I said, I'm 15. And he said, oh, what? And he took off and got all his buddies. And all the can of worms was open, wasn't it? <laughs> it was a can of worms, and a bigger can of worms came behind that, you know? <laughs> well, listen, listen, let's back up. Let's back up just a minute before we get into okay. all of that, because that, that, we want to cover that. But okay. now, Jerry Lee Lewis, he was a family member. I mean, you'd grown up around him. As a second cousin, you'd known him for pretty much most of your life, didn't you? No, not really. Let me tell you how oh, cousin okay. routine works. I met okay. Jerry when I was probably 12 years old. Now, my daddy and Jerry are first cousins. In that long line of 13 original Lewis children, there must have been, because each one of them, let's just say each one of them had 10 kids. Nah, that's too many. But let's just say they did. That's 130 people. But even if they only had half, that's still 50 or 60 or 70 people that you have to know. And I had never met Jerry, and my daddy had only seen Jerry 
when when he was like five or six years old. And the grandmother Lewis, Grandma Lewis, who we mentioned in my book, you know, The Spark That Survived, she was instrumental in my daddy knowing Jerry like he did. She talked about what a talented boy he was, how he could play the piano and sing. She, she just went on and on about her grandson, Jerry Lee, but they just called him Jerry back then. So my daddy was a lineman in Memphis. He was injured on the job. He could no longer work. He was almost killed on his job, to be honest with you. And Daddy had played music all of his life as well. The whole family, I think, are musically oriented. So Daddy had played music, and when he could no longer work as a lineman, he went looking for his first cousin, Jerry. He heard, he found out that he was working in a um, club in Natchez, Mississippi called the Hilltop. And Daddy went there went inside and said, Jerry, you don't know me, but I'm your cousin J.W. Brown from Memphis. He said, I want to invite you to come to my house. Let's go see Sam Phillips at Sun Records. He said, you, it won't cost you a thing. You stay at my house as my guest. I have a nice brick ranch home. You'll have your own bedroom. We all want us to put a band together, and let's see what we can do in this, in this music industry. So okay. first Jerry said, nah, I don't want it. Uh, I don't know. I've been to Memphis and nothing happened. They didn't call me back. I don't want to go again. But three days later, Jerry did show up in Memphis. So now you were 12 when you first really were aware well, of I him. I was actually 12 way. years old when I met him. My daddy was, you know, in his late 20s the first time he actually met him as, a, as an adult because of there being so many Lewis cousins. The big extended family, right. right. Yeah. Well, when, when did you get an inkling that this second cousin had those kind of feelings for you? Well, <laughs> um, I don't know. Jerry just kept being so uh, not flirty with me, but Jerry was just, you know, he would talk to me all the time, and he'd say, Hey, you want to go get some ice cream at the, you know, A&W root beer stand or something like this? Yeah. So he was always, you know, he was always silly with me and talking to me, uh, probably because Jerry and I were about emotionally the same age. <laughs> he was a kid, you know? That may have had a lot to do with it. Did you, were yeah. you more infatuated or starstruck, or did you share those feelings? How were you at that point? I... I Starstruck is not what I was because Jerry walked into my life not a star, but as a cousin, okay? There was right. nothing for me to be awed about. Jerry looked kind of silly and kind of countryfied because he had a, he had a, his haircut was way too short. His ears stuck out, and <laughs> he needed his hair a little longer. Uh, one front tooth was smaller than the other. Because as a kid, he had knocked one of his front teeth out, and they put in another front tooth. But he grew after that, so he needed a new front tooth. Uh, so, he, he, you know, it was not like he was like, wow, look at, look at this man coming here. He's good-looking and all this kind of stuff. He was just kind of country boy to me, you know. <laughs> okay, okay. Folks, we got a break coming up. We're here this okay. morning with Myra Lewis-Williams. And before we get to this break, I want to make note of something for you. You got your pencil and paper ready. 
Now, this coming May 12th and 13th, the Atlanta Writers Club, under the direction of George Weinstein, will once again sponsor the Atlanta Writers Conference. Now, this is the 16th edition of this great conference, and it's going to be held again at the Weston Atlanta Airport Hotel. Now, again, the dates for this are May 12th and 13th of 2017. And if you're interested or just curious, I want you to go to www.AtlantaWritersConference.com for more details, and they'll tell you all about it. Again, you're listening to the prologue. Our guest today is Myra Lewis-Williams, and we're going to be back with more from her after these messages. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week as we explore all aspects of home and family defense as we strive to defend the ones we love in an ever-changing and volatile world. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we are back on the prologue. Good morning to you. My name is Doug Dahlgren. We're delighted you're here today. We've got a very special guest this morning. Myra Lewis-Williams is with us. You know her as Myra Lewis, the 13-year-old bride of Jerry Lee Lewis from way back in the late 50s. Quite a deal that went on back there. And Myra's been telling us about the background for the new book, which is called The Spark That Survived. It's actually a retelling trying to do what she wanted to do originally back way back in 1982 when Great Balls of Fire was written. Now, Myra, that book was turned into a movie that kind of really overshadowed the book itself, didn't it? it? Yes, it did. It definitely overshadowed it. And it, it took on its own life and its own definition because when they were making the movie, we traveled, my family and I, Mom and Daddy and my brother and everybody, we went to Memphis to watch some of the filming on a day or two when they were doing it there. And at some point, I walked into the set, and the producer or the director was there, and I looked at the set where they had our home. And here's this little shacky, not shacky-looking house. It wasn't that. It was just downplay. It was not what we lived in, okay? And they had us looking like uh, very well, poor. Well, there's a stereotype. Yeah, the stereotype well, okay, for the yes, south. It was. 
Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, they did. They, they did what they looked at as this is what the South looks like, this is what they all look like, and that's all there is to it. <laughs> Everything was kind of shabby. And I looked at the producer and I said, you know, that's not the way it was. That's not the way it looked. You're not representing it properly. And he said, well, Myra, let me say this. If it didn't happen this time, maybe it'll happen next time. (laughs) Well, now, with with what you went through with the way Great Balls of Fire was treated, if you were asked that they wanted to make a movie out of the spark that survived, would you allow that? Mm, I don't think so, because I've been to Hollywood, and I've been back, and I don't want to go through that again. Got a T-shirt. What happens? They they own it. They make it the way they want it to be. And the producer said to me, he said, Myra, if it didn't happen that way, maybe it will next time. Well, now, this book, (laughs) this book you were allowed, well, you allowed yourself to tell the story the way you wanted to. In fact, the book starts out with the day that you're coming home from school, the day that you go out and marry Jerry Lee Lewis. Now, I'm sure that the memories of that just really don't fade, do they? No. (laughs) I can remember it down to the dress I had on. I mean, yes, that is something that... It's like everybody knows where they were when somebody was killed. You know, when you heard about Mm. President Kennedy, you knew right where you were in that moment in time. This never goes away. This is permanent. Mm. Now, how did he treat you uh, around that period, right before leading up to you guys getting married? Oh, he treated me like a a little princess, whatever I wanted. You know, let's go get some ice cream. He would teach me to drive. Now, he taught me to drive in my mother and daddy's backyard. We had an acre of land. And I drove his car so much around in the backyard, around and around, I finally ran it out of gas. And we had to go buy some gas and put in it. (laughs) I forgot about that. Well, now, your your idea of marriage, and you're quite open with it. You were 13, and you were from a happy home. Your parents were happily married. And your idea of marriage was affected largely by what you saw in your parents' marriage. So you you really were happy and embracing the idea, weren't you? Oh, yeah, I had, yeah, absolutely, because all I had wanted since I was 10 years old was a home, a little cottage with roses growing around the front door, and a baby in my arms. I wanted to be Miss Miss Homemaker, Miss Susie Homemaker. And your parents were kind of young when they were married, a little older than you were, but they were young, weren't they? They were both 16 years old, and they had been married 70 374 years now. Oh, wow. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's wonderful. That really is. It is. It really is. And they had a great marriage. And I just saw, well, actually, my mother and daddy and I grew up together. My mother used to jump rope with me on the sidewalk when I was like five years old. So, you know, I didn't, it wasn't that big of a thing. Everybody in the South got married young, 14, 15, 16 years old. It was no big deal. Oh, exactly. Now, the fact, though, is that when Jerry first approached you about that idea, you actually tried to get him to wait a couple more years, didn't you? Oh, yes, because that day when I came home from school on the school bus, my last day of school, last day of childhood, he called me out to the car and said, here, come out here, I want to show you something that I have. And he pulled out a marriage license 
out of his glove compartment of his car, and he handed it to me, and I looked at it, and it had my name on it. It had his name on it, and I looked at it. It said marriage license, and I said, Jerry, I thought you had to stand there and say something. I was so naive, I thought I was already married to him when he handed it to me. You know, it's like, I Hello. didn't know the difference. <laughs> Hello, world. <laughs> so I said, Jerry, now, I am too young for this. And he said, no, you're not. Your mother married young and my mother married young. It'll be fine. Your daddy and I have a band together and everything will be fine. And I'm going, no, it won't. This, I'm still in the eighth grade. No, no, no. And that's how it was presented to me. A girl stood in for me and signed my name to the marriage license certificate in Natchez, Mississippi. Jerry had gone to Louisiana and got these licenses and brought it back to Memphis. My goodness. And then another interesting thing that people can read about in the book, but once you guys were married, you really tried to keep it secret for a while. Yes. Yes, we did. Actually, it, it, it didn't last long. It probably took five or six days <laughs> because my my mother and daddy kept saying, what is going on around here? Everybody is so uptight and everybody's like, whoa, what's going on? You know, and what's the funniest thing, when we went and got married, we drove down there real quick and came right back because we were supposed to go to a movie, but we didn't go to a movie. And daddy said, I thought y'all were going to a movie. And we said, Oh, it wasn't any good. Uh, we didn't like it. But thankfully, he did not ask us the name of the movie because we didn't have a movie in mind we were going to, to be honest with you. And uh, then Jerry is standing in the kitchen, and he's combing his hair. He always did this little routine of combing his hair, combing his hair, and rice started falling out of his hair. And I oh. really thought I was going to faint. <laughs> My mother's standing there washing dishes, and rice is falling on the floor. <laughs> How did they react once they knew? <laughs> I don't know that it that it hit. It did not jive in my mother's head as to what she was seeing, what she was looking at, and what it represented. It just did not. Because years later I said to her, did you see that rice? She said, yes, but I, I just had no idea what it was. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, we're, we're going to step ahead. We're getting closer to where I interrupted you a while ago. But it, not too long after you guys were married, the next year, uh, Elvis Presley gets drafted, and that propelled Jerry Lee Lewis straight up the ladder. He was one of the, the big, big things on the rock and roll scene. And there was this tour to England, and you guys fly over to London, and you accompanied him. What happened? Now I want you to tell the story. What all happened in London? When we arrived in London, they had the family, my mother and daddy and my little brother and I. We got off the plane, and we went and waited somewhere for the rest of the, for the guys, for them to meet the press as they came off the plane. Well, the press was there. They are taking photographs. And we're way in the background, you know, just kind of looking at it as if it's something we haven't seen before either. And a reporter comes up behind me, and he taps me on the shoulder, and he says, Excuse me, miss, who are you? And I said, uh, Me? He said, Yes, who are you? Did you get off of that plane? And I said, Yes, I did. He said, Who are you, miss? I said, Me? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm nobody. He said, But you came in with them. And I said, Oh, I'm Jerry's wife. And you'd think I shot him because his, she just went, 
oh, you know, you could see the bells and whistles going off in this guy's eyes. And he said, you're his wife? And I said, uh-huh. He said, how old are you, miss? And I said, um, I'm 15. I kind of pushed my age a little bit. I figured 15 is kind of acceptable, where 13 is just horrible. So he took off and got his buddies, and all of a sudden we're covered up with photographers and reporters all over us. And what is so terrible about this entire event the way it unfolded and the way it became front-page headline news, where we actually knocked De Gaulle off the front page in a couple of days. Wow. Uh, if, if someone in Jerry's entourage had said to me, Myra, you're a chicken time bomb. If anybody <laughs> finds out Jerry's married to a kid, 13 years old, we're in trouble. All of us are in trouble. If they ask who you are, just say, there's my daddy, J.W. Brown, there's my mother, Lois, and there's my little brother, Rusty. I'm Myra. I'm their kid. It would have been nothing to it. The entire, our entire life would have changed based on my statement given to the press. But do you think anybody would approach me and tell me that? No. 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 Oh, good Lord, no. Uh-uh. They would well, now, you know... They went to Jerry and said, please leave Myra at home. And he says, either she goes or I don't. So Now, it wasn't just, it wasn't just the, the fact of your age. Once they got digging into all this, it, it turns out that Jerry hadn't really done the paperwork to clear himself from his first marriage either, had he? Exactly. Yeah, Jerry just kind of plays by his own rules. <laughs> he married a girl. <laughs> He married her, and they lived together, I don't know, a couple of weeks or something. And he left her, and then he got to go on with another girl, and he married her without benefit or divorce from the first one. So the second one wasn't valid. And then he says, well, okay, I wasn't married to the second one, so I can just marry Myra. I don't have to get anything. I mean, it's like <laughs> it just doesn't. It just doesn't work that way, <laughs> you know, the real world. He just didn't, he didn't believe in paperwork too much, did he? <laughs> Takes up too much time. <laughs> there you go, there you go. Folks, well, we're here this morning with Myra Lewis-Williams. Myra, tell the folks real quick, where can they find out more about you? What website can they go to to learn out more about Myra and her books? Well, we could, we could go to um, deedspublishing.com. Okay, they, that's D-E-E-D-S. I'm okay. sorry? D-E-E-D-S, right? Okay. Yes, D-E-E-D-S, publishing. That's where you can buy the book. Or you can go to my Facebook page, excuse me, which is Myra Lewis Williams, comma, author. And there's pictures and all kind of stuff on there. Excuse me, one second. And um, that's one way they can... They could reach me and get the book, get an autograph or what have you. Uh, but you could also get them at Amazon uh, or Kindle. All of okay. those it's available everywhere. Right. <laughs> yeah, available everywhere. Folks, we're yeah, here this available morning everywhere. with Myra Lewis-Williams. She's telling us mm-hmm. about her new book, The Spark That Survived, and we will be back with more after these messages.
When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week as we explore all aspects of home and family defense as we strive to defend the ones we love in an ever-changing and volatile world. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back. We're here on the prologue this morning. We've got Myra Lewis Williams with us, and we've been having a great time talking about her new book, The Spark That Survived. And, folks, this is a retelling of her original story that you're all familiar with, Great Balls of Fire. It was turned into a movie back in the late 80s. Uh, and the movie was, was fun, but the movie really didn't tell the story Myra wanted to tell. So she sat down some years later, and with the help of Linda Hughes, who we'll talk about more later, she was able to pin the spark that survived, the actual story that she wanted to tell so many years ago. Now, we're going to be back with Myra in one second here, but if she'll allow me, I want to thank a couple of very special groups of listeners that we've got out there. We're so proud to have them here. First of all, our armed forces who are stationed all around the world. They're working hard every day to keep us safe back here at home. Now, freedom isn't free, folks. It's bought and paid for daily by those men and women in uniform. So we want to make sure that we remember them and thank them for their service. We also want to mention some other brave folks out there, those first responders. These are closer to home. They're right around the corner or right down the street. Those police, fire, EMT personnel, you know, the ones that rush to our aid when we need their help. We want to thank each and every one of them for what they do, and we're thankful that these folks are listeners to America's Web Radio and to the prologue. Now, Myra, we're back. We've been talking about the way everything was taken in England when that reporter came up to you and asked you that question who are you, and and how you answered it? <laughs> how did how did all the hubbub that came from that? How did it affect you? Were you confused by it, or did you understand what everybody was so upset about, or what was your reaction to the to the big disruption? I I was so regretful that I had opened my mouth, and at the same time, I was kind of disappointed in the people around me that didn't try to shut me up and tell me something. I mean, nobody would talk to me because I was the stupid kid in the bunch. You know, that's what I felt like. And it only would have taken a comment for someone to say, 
Myra, you're the key, you're the clue right here that's going to get Jerry killed or destroyed if you talk about who you are. Just be somebody else while we're on this. It would have changed our entire world and our entire life. But the other side of that routine, Doug, is this. Ironically, the best years of our life, the happiest times of our marriage, were the next ten years. Jerry and I became closer. We clung to each other. His his uh, record sales plummeted. They would book. They canceled his shows. They wouldn't put him on television. They blackballed him every way possible. But he stood fast and said, "It doesn't matter. I love you enough. It just doesn't matter what they do. I'll do it without them." And those were our happy years. The next ten years were the happiest years of our marriage. Now, what did he do during that time? Did he still play, just he smaller played, venues? Uh, he played for whatever he could get. He he was making like ten thousand dollars a night. Now, in nineteen fifty-eight, what would that be the equivalent to today? Oh my goodness! Half Several million. million. Yeah. 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 So he was making like a million dollars a night, half a million dollars a night. He went back to making a thousand dollars a night, which paid for the car and the band and the motel. You know those types of things. He would work anywhere that they would book him. The DJs would not play his records anymore because he was he was blackballed. It's like you, we're not we're not going there. We don't want to be blamed for something you've done. So those were the good times ironically, undesigned by us, but those were the good times. Well, um, things happen the way they're meant to, and, and that, that had to be uh-huh. a traumatic experience. It really had to be. Uh, but, you know, there were people, you say that if, if simply you had answered that, that you were yeah. J.W.'s daughter, that it might have yeah. been different. But wasn't there a section of the media, of society, really, that was looking for a reason to condemn rock and roll? And and somehow they would have probably found this out anyway. So, uh, you know, it, it seems like it was something destined to happen. Do you understand that? You, you're exactly right, Doug. You're exactly right, because it, all it would have taken is a word or two from somebody to have changed our destiny, which... They were looking for a place to stick the knife in rock and roll, exactly, and I gave it to them. I said, right here, folks, step right up and take the pictures, do whatever. And it changed everything for us. It also changed everything in the rock and roll industry because everybody else took note and said, oh, man, we don't want to, <laughs> we want to play it right here. We want to be straight and not let anything happen like this. So you didn't see Elvis bring Priscilla back and keep her at uh, Graceland for the next four or five years. No, he brought her to Memphis. She lived with his grandmother and went to school. So Do you, it, it do you believe, I'm sorry, I'm stepping on you, but do you believe okay. that Elvis uh, was aware of what happened to you guys and that maybe he learned uh, a lesson in how he needed to handle this when he met Priscilla? Most definitely, because it was a duplication of our lives. I mean, oh, he wonderful. was. Jerry's age, and she was like, I think she was 15 or something when she came over. So it was very, very similar. Yes, he took he took note on that. Have you met uh, Priscilla Presley? I have. Yes, I have. 
what was your perceptions of her? Uh, you know, we had such different lives and exact lives. That's what was so crazy about it. Elvis wanted Priscilla made up, dressed up, looking like she just walked off of a movie set. He wanted her looking like this gorgeous dream girl, you know. Jerry, mm-hmm. on the other hand, didn't want anybody looking at me. He didn't want me to wear makeup. He didn't want me to cut my hair. He didn't want me dressed looking, you know, good with, with nice clothes and stuff. He wanted me to look like a little eighth grader walking around where nobody would pay any attention to me. He was so possessive and so jealous that for years I had to look at the ground when I talked to people or look at my feet when I was answering somebody because he would get angry if I looked at somebody and looked them in the eye. He was like resentful. Don't you be looking at another man. Don't you look at another man. And well, now that, it, plays out, that plays out in an elevator. You had an encounter with a rather other famous musician. You want to tell us about that? Um, tell me which one it was. I'm <laughs> so many. Who was that? <laughs> my, my mind just skipped a beat. Uh, second edition. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. What condition my condition's in? Somebody help me, Lord. Uh, he's a famous Georgia musician, sang with Dolly Parton a good bit. Oh, uh, the, yeah, the guy that had Kenny Rogers. Yeah, thank you. I'm sorry, Kenny. <laughs> he won't ever come on the show now, I'm sure. Kenny Rogers. You had, you had an yeah. encounter with Kenny Rogers that played yeah. out kind of like you were describing. Yes, yes. Kenny was playing with something called the Back Porch Majority. He was not anybody famous. He, I didn't even, you know, he didn't even really have a name back then. But this little group in Las Vegas was playing, and Jerry was playing there, and I saw them every day, and they saw me every day. And I got on a plane to go back home to Memphis, and somebody sat down beside me on the plane and started talking to me. Well, I thought, oh, my God, I can't talk to another man. Jerry would be, he would be so mad. He would be outraged. He'd be so jealous. I can't talk to this man. So I kept ignoring him and looking out the window and trying to make him kind of, like, go away. It was pathetic, okay? (laughs) Finally, he looked at me, and he said, Myra, don't you know who I am? I said, what? He said, I'm Kenny Rogers. I've been with you all week down here at the hotel. At the, you know, at the, where they were playing. And this is how I, this is why people thought I was stupid, I think. Because I'm, don't even recognize somebody. I've spent a week walking around and talking to them. But I had to look at the floor when I talked to somebody when I was married to Jerry. He could not tolerate me looking in anybody's eyes. And it was just, it was just a, you know, I was smothered to death with love. And over, over, <laughs> everything was just decided for me. And kind of controlling. It controlling. That's exactly what it was. That's exactly what it was. Controlling. Now you had, you had once pictured marriage as that beautiful home with a white picket fence. Was that ideal image kind of fading in your mind by now? It wasn't exactly like I had thought it would be. No, it was definitely fading. Uh, although there were many, many parts of it that I loved, and that was the little homemaking, cooking, um, 
being a little wife, sweeping the kitchen. This was not what I always loved. What I wanted to be when I grew up was a mother, a homemaker, cook, and just be a wife. That, that was all I wanted to be, a wife and mother. And so a lot of it was being fulfilled. And I, was, I became Jerry's, I became his mother. I took care of him. I fed him. I brought every meal to him on a tray and set it on his chair, on the arms of his chair with this big tray. He never would come to the table and eat. He would have me, he would have me bring it to him and put it down on the tray. And he would say, okay, bless this food. And he'd bow his head and I'd bow my head and I'd say, Lord Jesus, thank you for this food. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So it was such a contradiction from one extreme to the other. Controlling personalities tend to be that way, though, don't they? I guess so. I guess they do. Yeah. I just, yeah. I just wasn't very, I just wasn't very sophisticated at thirteen. I'm sorry, it just didn't happen. You know. How long? How long did the marriage last? It, uh, exactly half of my life. I was married at thirteen and divorced at twenty-six. So thirteen years. Thirteen years. Quite, quite a bit to go through and quite a bit to learn in that period of time, wasn't there? Yes, yes, but I'll tell you what, those 10 years, those 10 years from 68 to 58, I mean 58 to 68, were our happy years. It was really ironic how it took place, and with Jerry being attacked by the press, the media, all, you know, all the establishment, it made us cling together and 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 sink our love and our devotion to each other far more seriously. We were like a little couple attacked, and we joined together and said we will fight the world off together, regardless of what it takes. And those were our ten happy, happy years. And when success returned, it changed everything. It was... Mm. It was so ironic that when success returned, the anger came out in Jerry because he had had 10 bad years that he didn't really deserve any more than anybody else did. It was just ironic that he had to be the fall guy for rock and roll. Although he did enough to, you know. To well, now, now success returning. That'd be a that'd be a good place to pick up when we come back. So uh-huh. we're going to take our last break, folks. We're here with Myra Lewis Williams, and we're going to be back and finish up this about when success returned after these messages. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes.
You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we are back. We're here this morning with Myra Lewis-Williams. You remember her as Myra Lewis of Jerry Lee Lewis and Great Balls of Fire. Myra rewrote that book. She wasn't completely happy with the way it was treated and the way the movie treated the book. And in 2016, she sat down with Linda Hughes, who helped her to rewrite her story, and she calls that The Spark That Survived. Now, that's a book put out by Deeds Publishing. It's available on Amazon, and uh, you can go and look that up right after we're through. But we've been having a great time talking about the marriage. When we went into the break, Myra was telling us about the 13 years of the marriage, the last 10 being really the happy part of their life, and then success returned to Jerry Lee Lewis. What happened there? What effect did that have? I believe Jerry was extremely bitter and mad because he had lost 10 of the best years of his life because of a scandal that had now just gone away, magically gone away, and he was in big demand. And he felt he had been punished for something that he hadn't really done, although he did do it, you know. The world had forgiven by this time that, you know, we had gotten married, or not forgiven, but just accepted it. That's the way it is, and that's what happened. But it, it made Jerry angry because people would come up to him after the show and say, Jerry, man, where have you been? And Jerry would say, I've been right here. Where have you been? Where, ha, who's been buying my records? Who's been coming to my shows? Because people were not willing to spend the money to advertise and put behind Jerry because he was still the rotten apple in the barrel. So... Jerry was angry about it, and it, he resented it when, it when all this started happening. I mean, rather than the good times being good, the bad times were our good times, and the good times turned into the bad times. Well, as things started to unwind between the two of you, do you recall a particular tipping point? What was the thing that, that realized in your mind, this is over? I think it's, it's. I think it comes down to the the people that surrounded Jerry were giving him really bad drugs and bad something, and it made him an absolute monster. Because that night when he would call me and he had been taking these drugs that they just put in his palm when they shake his hand, I guess is what they do. Um. He would be a totally different person. In the middle of the night, 3 o'clock in the morning, he's mad, he's angry, he's calling and saying, who the hell do you think you are? And I hadn't done anything. To the next mm. morning, by noon or so, he'd call me and he'd say, hey, baby, what you doing? Two different men lived with me. <laughs> you know, They were good Jerry and this crazy drug Jerry. And the people, the fans that brought him these drugs, I still wish I could talk to them and punish them for it because 
wherever he got them from was not it was not a, it was not a good thing to do this is what came between us and destroyed us because it turned him into as it does everybody that takes them a different person and that was a very mean mad bad person you guys had two children in your marriage there's one that you lost fairly early on and then there's your daughter phoebe um I know it's emotional, and I apologize for asking, but do you want to tell the folks who may not know what happened with your son, Steve? Oh, he was three years old, and um, um, he drowned in our swimming pool on Easter Sunday. Goodness. It was, uh, it was, it was like, it was like dying and still being alive to me. I, I pray. I, I used to pray that God would let me die in my sleep. I can imagine. Well, that, it's a tragedy. It's it's something that unfortunately happens to a lot of folks across the country. But it does. Uh, and I I apologize again for asking, but I'm sure there's a lot of people that aren't aware of of that fact. Now your daughter is still around, and she uh, yeah. for a great number of years she worked for her father. Uh, yeah. How did that go? It went real well. My daughter. <laughs> basically came to his rescue she waited until one of his wives he's had like what eight or nine now (laughs) she kept waiting until the call came that said phoebe i need you you need to come take care of me everybody's left me and i have nobody well phoebe had taken all of her life and not planned anything because she's waiting for that phone call and it came one day when one of the wives called Phoebe and said, I'm divorcing your daddy. He's on his way back from Europe. Unless you want him to be by himself, you better get back to Memphis right now. Phoebe dropped her life. She was living in Nashville. She left within 30 minutes, met her daddy at the airport, took him home, took care of him, fed him, um, got him off drugs, believe it or not. Uh, The bad drugs that the doctor said, Phoebe, you'll never get your daddy off of these drugs. People die on these drugs. And Phoebe said, okay, we'll see. And she went to her daddy and she said, you want off of these drugs? He said, yeah. She said, okay, you work with me. It took two years, and that girl got him totally off of a drug that the doctor said he'll die on this drug. Now, we want to... Let's let's save some of that for the folks to tell them they need to buy the book. How about that? <laughs> okay. You, that's what we're here to do. We want to entice people to buy your book because it's a great book, and it tell it tells this and other details. And yeah. again, folks, it's the spark that survived. And you've got a co-writer for this book, Linda okay. Hughes. Mm-hmm. Now, Linda's a friend of the program. Uh, in fact, she was a guest here not too terribly long ago. When did you first meet Linda Hughes? Oh, Linda and I met each other, oh my gosh, it's been at least 25 years or more. Her husband, Joe, came to work for my husband and, and his company in real estate. That's what I've done for the last 30-some-odd years to sell real estate very successfully, thank you. And Absolutely. Joe was there, and he they were invited, of course, to our Christmas party at our home. Linda and I met, and we've been fast friends ever since. <laughs> that was well, she she must be a very good and trusted friend too. For writing a book like this, you really have to have somebody as a co-writer that you trust implicably. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. 
I would How did you write go- a chapter and send it to her, and she would call me and say, you got to be kidding me. That really happened? <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, well, well, you I answered the next one. Yeah, the next question was, how did you work on this? But you'd write it and send it to her, and then she uh-huh. would look at, oh, okay, terrific. Were there a lot of meetings that went on, too, to discuss things, or, or did you just simply write stuff and, and forward it on? I would, I would write chapters and forward them to her, and then we would talk by phone. She would read the chapter. Then she'd call me. We would talk. But we had also, we'd go out and have lunch or go shopping or something. She doesn't live at about 10 miles from me, so we get together a lot. And she forced me into making a commitment that I would be finished with it by a certain date, and we'd have a published date of February the 14th of last year. So she was like, okay, Myra, got to get it written, got to get it done, okay, get to it. So <laughs> she was a, not just she a co-writer, she was a motivator. There you go. All right. <laughs> you know, back back in those days now, there was somebody else that came into your life. There's a gentleman uh, named Richard Williams. Tell us about him. Richard was my broker. He hired me years ago, 30-some-odd years ago, to go when I decided I was going into real estate. And he and I have been married. We forget. You know, it's either been 29, 30, 31, or 32 years. We've got to find our marriage license to figure out exactly how long we have been married. We're just like two peas in a pod, you know. <laughs> we just don't know anything else out there. But he's wonderful. He's, 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 he's adorable. He treats me like a princess. It's whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it. He's a gentleman. Um, bless his heart, he used to go around to the car and open my door and... I wasn't used to that, so I'm trying to get to my door to open it and kind of push it in the side <laughs> so I can open my car door and get in like I always did. Actually, I would open the car door for Jerry, and then I'd get behind the wheel and drive him wherever he wanted to go. <laughs> so it's a little well, listen, different. <laughs> something, something that I want to mention, the book is tremendous. Uh, in I don't know if this is a fact or not, but it's available paperback and Kindle. But the paperback has 27 pages, and not just one per page, but several pictures per page, 27 worth. Are those in the Kindle? I don't think they are, are they? I do not know, but I well, anyway, just do not know. <laughs> I don't they, are worth, they are worth the price of the paperback, yeah. so folks, look yeah. into that and get it. Now, Myra, is there anything that we've left out this morning? My publisher, I can say this, I know one thing we left out. My publisher, Deeds Publishing... Right. He has put them on sale. He's selling them for $12, and oh. that includes shipping within the United States, not foreign shipping. And um, that's the best place to get it unless you want to use Kindle. You can get it at Amazon, um, or, you know, not at, the, not at the bookstores, but they can get it for you as well. Uh, so it's a, through, it's a good Through Deeds gift. Publishing. Mm-hmm, okay. for Deeds Publishing, and he pays postage on that, and they're $12. And I don't know why he did that. We're going to have him put under the, in a, somewhere, <laughs> <laughs> examined, you know. Well, folks, I, I can recommend the book, uh, The Spark That Survived. You will enjoy it. You will enjoy the story, the way it's told. Uh, the pictures in the back are amazing. And uh, like I said, the difference between the Kindle and the paperback, it's worth it to get the paperback just for those. Uh, Myra, unless you got something else, I'm afraid we're up against the clock here. Uh, that's about it for this hour. I, I want to thank you so much for being here. This has really been a pleasure. Uh, I hope you'll come back soon. 
I would love to. It has been my pleasure, Doug. It has been Outstanding. wonderful. I enjoyed talking to you. Outstanding. Thank you so much. Now, folks out there, if you or anybody else that you know has a book or a story that needs to be told here on the prologue, I want you to email me. There's two email addresses real fast, Doug at AmericasWebRadio.com or Doug at DougDahlgren.com. Please use those. Let me know about yourself or your friend, and we'll talk to them about getting them on a future show. So, folks, that's it for this hour. My thanks again to the special guest, Myra Lewis-Williams. For myself, and I'm Doug Dahlgren, and for my guest, I want to say be good to yourselves and each other. I want you to read a book this weekend. If it's not Myra's, maybe you'll pick one of mine. I'm also up there on Amazon. And I'll see you all again in just 167 hours. Take care now. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.